Good morning. Please find Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16 in your Bibles. The title of the message today is, The Worship Service Never Ends. The Worship Service Never Ends. Now, I'm not talking about a worship service where you're in it and you're thinking, when is this ever going to end? You know, it goes on and on and on. And I'm not talking about a preacher who can't seem to bring the plane in for a landing either. You know, you think it's about to be over and wow, it takes off for another, uh, another clip there. It's, we're not talking about that. Uh, I'm sure we've all been there though. But why it never ends? Why does the worship service never end? It's because worship is not an event. It is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. When we come here and we gather, it presupposes that we have been offering ourselves to God continually all week long. It presupposes that we have been worshiping all week long. And our gatherings here, that's the outflow of what God is doing in our hearts and our lives and our families and our community all week long. Our worship of God begins when we come to faith in Christ and it continues on through eternity. One long worship service that never ends. Now right about now you may be thinking what I've been thinking all week. Uh, The worship service definitely ends in my life. I know myself. I don't worship God as I ought to every moment. I'm inconsistent at best. Even in the midst of a worship service. And my family and friends, they're just like me. They're they're self-absorbed, just like me. They don't live that kind of life. So how can I live this way? Where the worship service truly never ends. I treat worship like a switch I can turn on and off. I come into a worship service and I, I act worshipful. And then I leave and act the way I usually act. We need Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. We need it bad. This, these two verses expose some faulty thinking when it comes to worship that's very common among Christians today. Primarily the thinking that it happens only on Sundays. When we think that way, worship becomes a spectator sport for us. We watch. We observe. We judge. We even give grades. We even give marks. How is the music? How is the sermon? Worship then becomes external to us. For us. To us. About us. Rather than by us. Through us. And from us to God. Worship is not primarily what we can get out of it. Like when we leave a worship service and we say, hey, did you like it? How was it? What did you get out of it? According to Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, it's about what we put into it. Worship is about what we put into it, not what we get out of it. We're to continually worship God in every sphere of life. All the time. The worship service never ends. 
And our approach is to be exclusively through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, Through him then, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Through him. Through who? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Because of him. By him. On account of him. If you think about it, Christ, the mediator, has made it possible for us to come before God in worship. We've seen that over and over again in the book of Hebrews. It is, it is futile to offer to God service or worship that is not through Jesus. Without the trail that Jesus blazed for us, by going to the cross, by offering his life in our place, by his death, by his burial, by his resurrection, without the access that he has secured for us through his blood, it is futile to come to God. You can't come to God. Why? Because the obstacle of sin is barring the way. The wrath of God against our sin is barring the way to those who try to come to God without coming through Jesus Christ. Without Jesus as our intermediary, the wrath of God is still against us. No one can come to God except through Jesus. Jesus himself said that in John chapter 14, verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12 says that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved the name of Jesus. So we've got to come through Jesus. And through Jesus is what the Christian life is all about. Through Jesus. Therefore, through the one who sanctified his people by offering himself, therefore, through the one who suffered for us outside the camp, securing eternal salvation, the one who was dead and was buried and who rose again, the one who is, as Hebrews 13, 8 tells us, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Interestingly, it doesn't say yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It says yesterday, today, and forever. Every tomorrow, he is always the same. Through that one, let us offer to God continually a sacrifice of praise. It says, through him then let us, let us do this. We are to pursue this kind of life with God together in in community with one another. Fellow believers pursuing this kind of life. And we can either help or hinder each other in the process by the the, uh, choices that we make on a daily basis. Let us continually do this. That means all the time. 24-7, unbroken, unending, a lifestyle, not a point-in-time event. Christianity by nature is relational. We, We come to know Jesus Christ and we come to know him personally. And the wonderful thing that God is pleased to do is to accept his people's worship and their offering of their very lives 
based upon the shed blood of Jesus, based upon what he has done. In light of Christ's sacrifice, in an ongoing relationship with him. And we may, we may direct our worship elsewhere, toward another object, or whatever our attention or our, our resources or our focus and, attention and, and, and energies get focused upon. But then there's this other reality that we live with. That we can't ignore, and if we do ignore it, we warp what it means to live the Christian life. We warp the picture of what it means to live as a Christian. It's our new reality. It is our new normal, which is, which is really supernatural. For Christians, those who are in Christ, those who have come to faith in Christ, Jesus is always with us. We know that. He is living within us spiritually. And so that everything we do, once we come to faith in Christ, we do in context with Jesus. He's with us always. He's living within us. And we may be inconsistent in terms of our devotion. But nonetheless, nevertheless, Christ, in Christ, we've been changed. And so in Christ we've been changed and we are being changed by God. That's our new reality, that he is at work in us. Sure, we're inconsistent. Sure, we go through lapses, but God is faithful. God is sovereign. God is in control. And while we may look the same, the entire direction of our lives has changed. There has been a a restructuring. There has been a reorientation of of our hearts and our lives. And our inward motivation has changed. It has been transformed. And while we may still do the same things on a daily basis, like work and play and eat and talk and interact in all the spheres in which we interact, we've been changed. We have been changed. We now live for Jesus rather than ourselves. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's our new reality. Now someone might say of you, but you're just into sports, or or sewing, or gardening, or working on your car, or stamp collecting, or finances, or computers. You should be worshiping God. You should be spending that time worshiping God. You two wrapped up in these other things. And you reply, ah, but I I am worshiping God. I am living according to Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You live according to Colossians 3, 23, which says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Do it from the heart. Ask for the Lord, not for men. Or, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 31, that says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You're living with a new reality. 
And people may look at you and say, well, you're not worshiping God. Well, I wonder if they looked at Brother Lawrence when he was mopping floors and practicing the presence of God. He wrote a book in the 1800s called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he did janitorial type work to the glory of God as worship to God. We're to be worshiping God moment by moment as we're going through our day. As Thomas R. Kelly wrote in his book, A Testament of Devotion, walk and talk and work and laugh with your friends. But behind the scenes, keep up the life of simple prayer and inward worship. Now, while we may be inconsistent, we now seek to please Him, not us. We want to serve Him, not ourselves. Paul said this to the Corinthian believers, some of whom were immature, some of whom were acting as if they didn't know Jesus. He said this, We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. And that is our desire. That is the desire of true worshipers. That is the desire of of true believers, of Christians. The worship service doesn't end because it is a lifestyle, not an event. It doesn't end primarily because God's work and His interaction in our lives doesn't end. It is ongoing. It is consistent. It's faithful. Well, these, these verses also tell us that worship is not primarily about getting, but about giving. The true worshipers always come first and foremost to give to God, which then qualifies them to receive from His hand. But a worshiper comes with an offering to God. So how it does not end is by the offering of spiritual sacrifices. Look at verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice to God. Offer up a sacrifice. God's actions, God's work, always calls for a response on our part. Action from us. Inspired by him, empowered by him, but nonetheless, a decision of the will that we make to go in a certain direction. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 to those who followed the chief cornerstone, those who followed Jesus Christ. He said this, You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul's words to the Romans were similar in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He said, So then as those holy and beloved present your bodies as a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Christianity by nature is sacrificial. It's built upon the foundation of the one self-offering sacrifice of Jesus Christ for all time. 
And one of the things we've seen repeatedly in the book of Hebrews is that sacrifices were extremely important in the Old Testament economy under the Old Covenant. But the problem was many Jews found comfort and security in the rituals instead of the substance and the meaning behind them. Well, they would bring their offerings to God, but they didn't bring their hearts. They clung to the things they did rather than the thing, the work of God that it represented. And so God said often of them, this people draws near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, they added barriers to a relationship with God. Barriers that God did not intend to be there. Many hoops people had to jump through to be considered acceptable, to be considered right with God. Added to that, the Jews that first heard these words uh, that God gave the writer of Hebrews, uh, their unbelieving contemporaries told those Jewish believers who had been born again by the Spirit of God that they were second class. They had no sacrifice. They had no altar. They were made to feel like second-class citizens, not on par with the rest of the Jewish community that they came out of. But God would not let them be deceived into thinking that they'd been cheated out of any of God's blessings. And by His Spirit, God spoke through the writer of Hebrews, and He reassured them that they indeed had a sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, Jesus, who offered himself once for all and eliminated any further need for animal sacrifices or grain sacrifices or any sacrifice under the Old Covenant. And they indeed had an altar. And that altar was the cross of Jesus Christ on which he made final sacrifice, on which he made the ultimate and the superseding sacrifice that went beyond and above any sacrifice that, would, that could ever be given. Once for all time. A sacrifice had been made on their behalf. And ours. That lasts forever. That will never end. What that sacrifice accomplished. Never ends. It co- accomplished. An entrance. Into the presence of God. For all those who come by faith. Through Christ. By faith in Christ, they were the recipients then of God's richest blessings. Not second class citizens. They were heirs of God. They were joint heirs with Christ. Now, under the new covenant, God does not ask for animal sacrifices, God does not ask for grain offerings. But Christians are called priests in the New Testament. We are called priests. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, we read this. He has made us to be a kingdom and priest to our God and Father. In 1 Peter 2, 5, you are a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. We We have direct access to come before God through Christ and present our offerings to Him as priests. We need no human priest to come to God. We come to God through Christ. And if we are priests, we're to perform the function and duties of priests. We're to bring offerings. 
We're to bring sacrifices to God. Now, what specific sacrifices are we to offer? There are two that are listed here in these two verses. Verse 15 says this, Through him then, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Praise. Let us continually offer up that sacrifice of praise to God. Now, in in Bible times, there was a rabbinical teaching among Jews that said that every sacrifice would be done away with except the thank offering. And that all prayers would be done away with except the, 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 uh, the prayer of thanksgiving. That was what the, the rabbis actually taught. In the temple worship, the sacrifice of thanksgiving had once been accompanied by an animal sacrifice. A form of peace offering, as, you, as we see in Leviticus 7.12. And the sacrifice of praise was the highest form of the peace offering under the Old Covenant. The thank offering was voluntary. It was not an obligatory type thing. You didn't have to do it. The thank offering was voluntary, but it could only be made by worshipers after the sin offering had been accepted by God. You see the point. The sin offerings had been presented and the worshiper now was clean in God's sight and then they could present their, their thank offering to God voluntarily out of a heart that was overflowing at that moment by the forgiveness that God had given. Gratitude for the forgiveness that God had given. And so each time that the sin offering was presented, they could voluntarily offer the sacrifice of praise, the thank offering. The primary purpose to express gratitude to God for all he had done, for the forgiveness that he had given through the sin offering. As we've seen in Hebrews, animal sacrifices were rendered obsolete, uh, unnecessary by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Believers in Jesus are, are now, by faith in Christ, clean in God's sight. Qualified to enter his presence with thanksgiving all the time. That's why it says, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. No longer associated with animal sacrifices. But now through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of praise is pleasing to God and appropriately should be offered continually by his people. The sacrifices they were to offer were to be given out of love, and sheer grateful joy in, in worshiping a God who had given so extravagantly his only begotten Son. Through Jesus, we come to God already accepted. The Old Testament priest used to continually offer to God a sin offering for his sins and the sins of the people, and it was done often out of fear. And now in the new covenant, we continually are to offer God praise and thanksgiving out of gratitude. Out of gratitude for all God has done and all he is doing and all he will do. Let us continually offer up to God the sacrifice of praise. How do we praise God? How specifically do we praise God? We praise God when we acknowledge him 
for who he really is, not what we imagine him to be. We, we praise him when we say, God, we, we praise you that you are holy. We praise you that you are good all the time. We praise you that you are, you are great, that you are gracious, that you are merciful, that you are beautiful, that you are just. We praise him when we, when we acknowledge who he truly is, according to Scripture. Appreciating the giver first. This verse says, Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Specifically to the name of God. We offer our sacrifice of praise. And we do it appropriately when we, when we acknowledge who he really is. Verse 15 describes the sacrifice of praise. It says that it is the fruit of lips that give thanks to God's name. Give thanks to his name. It's language borrowed from Hosea chapter 14 verse 2. Now you'll remember with me that the writer of Hebrews quoted the Old Testament more than any other Old Testament writer. And he used the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And this, this terminology, the fruit of lips, comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uh, rendering of Hosea 14.2. But if you looked at the, the Hebrew Masoretic text of the Bible, the word fruit is not there. It's the word calves. Calves. Yeah, the, some King James, older King James Bibles actually have that. Uh, let us offer to God a sacrifice of praise continually. That is the calves of lips that give thanks to his name. And, and how that came about is that uh, there was a, a, a different ways of dividing consonants in the Hebrew language. And in, in the Greek, it was divided in such a way that it translated the word fruit. In the Hebrew, it, it was translated, it divided the consonant in such a way that it was translated calves. So you have two different words, but the same meaning. The point is the same either way. God is, is interested not in calves offered upon a physical altar, but on the spiritual sacrifice of our lips devoted to acknowledging who he is. So then our lips are seen as the altars upon which our hearts give praise to God. We're to give thanks to God's name. We are, uh, the word give means to profess, to confess, to verbally say the truth about God. Our, our words are important. Our attitude is revealed with pinpoint accuracy by our words, by what comes through our lips. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34. Some of us, including myself, have dirty mouth. And the only way to get rid of dirty mouth is to have clean heart. Because if you've got a dirty mouth, it's because your heart is dirty. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. 
So let's confess our sins to God and then appropriately give him praise and thanks. We're to give thanks to his name. There's another facet to living a lifestyle of worship where the worship service does not end. To the sacrifice of praise, and we see this in verse 16, is added the sacrifice of practical ministry. Kind and loving actions towards others. Unselfish service. Serving by grace. Look at verse 16. And do not neglect, which implies that we are bound to forget. Do not neglect doing good and sharing For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Sharing and doing good. Doing good is a general term. The emphasis is on uh, giving time and effort toward others. Sharing, the emphasis is on giving money and clothing and food and other uh, material goods. What can we give to another today who is in need, who is in the body or outside the family? What can we give in praise to God? It says that God is pleased with such sacrifices. Give a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that that give thanks to his name. And don't neglect to do good and share because with those sacrifices, God is also pleased. What can we give The Greek word for sharing here, you'll know this word. It's the Greek word koinonia. It's the Greek word fellowship. Don't forget to do good and fellowship. Share. It emphasizes life in the covenant community. It emphasizes where members are meeting the real needs of each other on an ongoing basis. They're not holding on to their stuff real tight. They're giving it to those in need. You see an example of that in Philippians 4.18. Paul is is commending those that had helped him. And in one verse, he's talking about in the context of God's provision for his needs. And he says this in verse 18, Philippians uh, 4.18. But I received everything in full. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. Why? Because they had given to him in his need. And then he says, I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. They sent him a gift. And then he said this, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What they had sent Paul to help support him was a fragrant aroma, a well-pleasing sacrifice to God himself. Resources, time, encouragement, assistance. It has happened in this church. We have witnessed it. We have seen it firsthand over and over again. And we are to continue to not neglect it, To not forget to do good and to share because those are sacrifices to God that are pleasing to Him. As you continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, 
actively engage in serving him as well. And serve him by helping others, doing good and sharing with others. In fact, I think it's when the fruit of our lips is praise, not gossip, not slander, not complaining, not angry outbursts, not comments designed to hinder and hurt others' reputations, not garbage, but praise. When, when we simply and appropriately praise God, then we are ready to offer the sacrifices of doing good and sharing. Otherwise, it's tainted. James says a similar thing in James one twenty seven. The religion that is without stain or fault in the sight of God is to help orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. That's the practical application of Christianity. Look at 1 John chapter 3. In verse 18. He says, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Don't just say you love one another. Show it. That's the practical application of Christianity. Because as we saw in, in Hebrews 11 verse 6, the life of faith pleases God. And so does the sacrifices of praise and practical ministry offered up to God. It gives Him pleasure. It makes Him happy. We should do it. These, these verses make two primary contributions to us. They show us that worship is a lifestyle and that it's not primarily about getting but giving. Praise inspires practical ministry where I don't keep track of what I've given. Unselfish service where my eyes are off of me. It is good that we seek to live like this because it is to God that we seek to live like this. It is for Him. It is for God that we seek this type of life. And true spiritual worship will often go unnoticed in the world and in the church. We'll be misunderstood. Someone will misread us. They'll think our motives are different than they really are. Just like we do to others. But Jesus, he made himself of no reputation. I need to set aside my, my need to be right. I need to set aside my need to be understood. Because we will all be misunderstood and we will all be seen by others as wrong at times. Because they don't know what's going on in our hearts. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. He said, judge nothing before the time. Because in due time, God will disclose the motives of every man's heart. See, in due time, we will, we're going to all be surprised by what we find out. What the true motives were. We don't know if a person is worshiping God inwardly just by the outward appearance. Sure, there are some indicators in words and deeds, but, but we don't know. Through Him, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God Sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And don't neglect to do good and share. Because with such sacrifices, God is pleased. 
That's the kind of life that God calls us to every moment of every day. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we just come to you now with thanksgiving. We come to you in praise, knowing that we're, we're really inconsistent, but you are completely faithful. And we thank you and praise you, Lord. We, are, we're just here to, we just want to offer ourselves to you, and we thank you that you make up where we lack. And you know our hearts, Lord. You know our true desires. And I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would grant those desires for goodness and those desires uh, for godliness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.